Hello, friends and listeners of the LeaderCast podcast. This is Mo, the producer, jumping on really quick before this episode starts to let you know that we are going to be wrapping up season one of the podcast. The final episode in season one will be coming out on April 23rd. We are going to be coming back with an even better season two later this year. Stay tuned on our socials for updates as we know more, and thank you for being an avid listener. This is the LeaderCast Podcast, helping you be a leader worth following. Hello, leaders. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the LeaderCast Podcast. I am Haley Panagakis. I think it's safe to say that failure is a universal truth. Every single person on this planet experiences failure in their lives. And as leaders, we tend to have a love-hate relationship with it. We, of course, want ourselves, our teams, and our organizations to thrive and be successful. We want to mitigate failure at all costs, but we appreciate, or at least we should appreciate, those moments when we do fail because they're opportunities for growth. There is a lesson to learn in every failure we encounter. Failure makes us better, and it is a stepping stone to success. That is what LeaderCast is focused on this month. And here to touch a bit on this topic and a whole lot more is Michael Dominguez, President and CEO of Associated Luxury Hotels International since June of this year. Before Alhai, Michael served as Senior Vice President and Chief Sales Officer at MGM Resorts International, providing strategic leadership, innovative business development, and oversight and implementation of sales strategies. He's also actively involved in leadership roles in the travel, meetings, and events industry. In this episode, we discuss why servant leadership is the key to winning as a sales leader, best practices for when executive leadership moves on from an organization, what to do when you're the new boss, and why failure makes us better and so much more. We'll dive into all of this, but before we do, here's a quick message about LeaderCast Now where you can learn insights on the challenges you face daily as a leader from experts just like the ones that you hear on this podcast. LeaderCast Now is an online resource for your leadership development. Get the solutions to your leadership challenges on any device at the moment you need it. To learn more, go to now.leadercast.com. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Here is my conversation with Michael Dominguez. Michael, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. We're so excited to have you today. Well, thanks for the invite. This is always a fun conversation and something I'm very passionate about when it comes to leadership. Yeah. So I know that you are new to your role at Alhai, which for those who aren't familiar, it's a global sales organization dedicated to the meeting and incentive marketplace. But before that, you spent seven years at MGM Resorts International Do you just want to share with our audience what led you down this path of sales leadership? Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, it's it's interesting that even getting into the industry, I I think it's fascinating when I have these reflection moments and uh, you you start to look back. I I had inflection points in my career and candidly got into the hotel industry and the hospitality industry purely by accident. Did not know I was going to stay in this industry and. Uh, once I, I got into a sales role and starting to understand the sales process, 
the opportunity uh, to be able to lead was something that presented itself. And I think we have a challenge sometimes, uh, specifically in sales arenas. And, and I experienced this again recently, and I, I can explain this a little bit more. But we tend to continue to promote our best salespeople into leadership roles. And I have found in my career and have found it often that just because you're really good at sales doesn't mean you're going to be a great leader, nor should you be in that role. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's where organizations start to struggle because we promote good performers and great performers, but they perform well because of what they do. And I find leadership getting into specifically in today's world, leadership is very much driven by servant leadership and people wanting to serve and understanding what that means and understanding that they are charged with the care or, or a duty of care for uh, the people that they are responsible for, that, that changes the, the game. And I, I think it's interesting because you have to really care and get driven by watching people grow and develop. And, mm-hmm. and that requires in today's world a lot of time commitment. And it's your personal time that you're willing to sacrifice. And when you ask what, what drives it for me, it's that. I only know one way to do it, and it's to be fully engaged. And that is fully engaged in our industry, fully engaged with our customers, and more importantly, fully engaged with our team members. And in my past uh, couple of roles, and even at MGM, uh, you know, the one thing that was consistent is anybody can get on my calendar. Any team member of MGM could get on my calendar. Any team member of Alhi can get on my calendar. And I, I remember it at one point, I had a new assistant well back in that journey where the question was, you know, don't you want to know what it's about? I said, it's about them wanting my time. So get them on the calendar. And I don't need to know what the agenda item is. I just need to know that they need my time. And I tell leaders all the time that if I was to ask you what your greatest asset is, I think most of us would answer that our greatest asset is our team members. And I do believe people believe that. I don't believe that's just words uh, that are, you know, that are on some brochure or something that they are just spitting out. But the comment I always have back is, well, if we really believe that our team members are our greatest assets, tell me that your time reflects that. Tell me that you're spending more time with your greatest assets than you are in meetings and on emails and on correspondence. And that is where there is always that aha moment and a little bit of a little bit of a miss in, in how we look at the world. But, you know, I, I recently was at a meeting for an ownership group that owns a bunch of startup companies, and they had asked me to speak on leadership at that conference. And it was interesting because one of the things that they've shared in general in that meeting is that they struggle with sales and sales leadership across the board and in, in those organizations. And what you find is you have a lot of people that are really, really good. Uh, they could be really good salespeople. They could be really good strategists. They could be really good uh, technical people. But what they're not great at is leading, yet you've put them in leadership roles because they were good. Mm-hmm. And and that continues to, to me, this is probably the greatest struggle we have in leadership uh, abroad. Uh, and it doesn't matter what vertical, what industry, what that looks like is you have to have a passion for people and, and development of people and a, and a general curiosity to continue to learn. And I say this often that leadership is a muscle and it needs to be exercised like any other muscle. And I, I don't think people fully understand that. And we've set up organizational structures to where for you, to, in order for you to advance, it, it tends to be that you now have to be leading people, 
yet you may not be really good at strategy and you may not be really good at talent development, and yet we've put you into those roles. So when you ask how I, how did I get led into this type of role, it's my passion. My passion is developing people and making sure that we are watching people develop. And I'm also one of those that, you know, I am not highly offended when I've developed somebody that they've now developed those skills and they're going to take those skills outside of our company. I've never understood how that is a personal affront that you've developed somebody so well and unfortunately you don't have that next opportunity for them within the organization. You should be very thrilled that somebody is able to move on. And it also gives you an opportunity to bring in a fresh set of eyes. And in many cases, it starts a domino effect where you're able to promote or enhance somebody's responsibility within the organization. And it opens up a whole bunch of other roles because of that. And again, I think if you take a, a, a pure interest in developing people, how can you not be happy for people if this is what they want to do? If they think this is the right move for them, even if it's another organization. I, I just think that is, if you're going to be really involved and really good at this, you have to have a rush for people developing. And I'm excited when people find the right opportunity if it's for them. Mm-hmm. I know that our audience comes from a range of industries and roles, not necessarily sales, but since you are mm-hmm. in sales background and we were just, we we're talking about this, I'd like to go in a little bit deeper into sales leadership. So you were talking about servant leadership. Would you say that I was going to ask what the true role of sale, a sales leader is, but from what, what it sounds like is a servant leader is the true role of a sales leader. It, it is. Uh, I, I think it's the, the true. Well, and, and I think as a sales leader, it's twofold. As a sales leader, I think you have to have a strategic mindset. Um, one, of, one of the things that my team members have always said about me is that I'm always playing chess. And they know when I'm making a move, setting up a program, setting up a some type of direction, it's with an intent that there's three other moves coming down the road. And every move is setting up another move. I think that's one, what one real big role, specifically of a sales leader, but I think all leaders is to be able to be able to set strategic direction. And, you know, I, I like to use the example that good leaders play chess. And in chess, every piece moves a different direction. And your job is to move them in a different direction towards a common strategy. Mm-hmm. That that's a very appropriate way to look at look at that role. And and the other part is, you know, I, I think your job is to develop talent. Well, to develop talent is to find out exactly where you can assist and where you can help people grow. And how do you share that experience? And uh, with a lot of young young leaders and young people in the industry, I always talk about this because it's not an age or time thing. It's it's a pure experience thing. There are certain things for you to develop and to be good is that you're going to have to experience it. And how can I help them experience it, acknowledge what they've experienced and help them identify it and learn from it and move faster? And that I'm not that person that everybody has to buy their time or pay their dues, but there is no substitution for certain things that you have to experience. Mm-hmm. And the, the difference is some people experience and learn from that in you know, in a very short amount of time. And some people take much longer. There isn't a rule book for it. And that's why I'm saying it's not that you have to pay your dues and you have to do something for so many years, but there is no replacement for experiences. And in sales specifically, when you talk about negotiations and circumstances, you know, the personalities change so dramatically, the deals can look very complex or they can look very simple. And 
when you're understanding that having experience and different ways to approach those deals make makes you not only better but it also makes you more creative uh, as you continue to advance your career so being a servant leader today means like i'm gonna make sure that i'm providing a strategy that's going to make you effective being nimble in that strategy as i need to and most importantly, I am there to help guide you through the way. I think good leaders define where the guardrails are. And when they've created an environment of trust and respect, uh, when their people hit the guardrails, they'll come to them to say, okay, I'm hitting the guardrail. Now, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. And, and I've always said that. I said, my job is to define where the guardrail is. And when you hit the guardrail, please let me know because I don't want you driving off the cliff. You know, that, that, that's, my, that's my role. But I should be able to give them enough freedom and enough clarity that the road is pretty open and they understand and they understand where the side of the road is. And I think that's part of being a servient leader is that you're, you're available to them as necessary, but you're also not, and I think too many leaders do this, they don't know the difference between managing and leading. I am not a micromanager. Good leaders define the direction, define the strategy, make sure everybody has the tools and the knowledge and the experience to do their job, and then they get out of their way mm-hmm. and they let them do their job. and. I think that's part of being a servant leader today. And then I'm here to say, where do you need me? And when I came on board with Alhi, it's what I've told all of my global sales people that are in the market serving our customers is tell me where you need me. And, and please, uh, if you don't think I'm adding uh, any incremental value, don't feel like I need to be somewhere. But I will be anywhere you need me to be if you'll just let me know. And they've taken full advantage of that. But to me, that's being a servant leader, you know, a leader, not me saying this is where I want to go. It's me ex- uh, explaining to them, where do you need me and where do you think I should be? Mm-hmm. Because I am at your service. Just tell me where you need me to be. Developing world-class leaders in your community is now easier than ever with LeaderCast. In addition to our flagship May event, Becoming a presenting partner allows you to stream multiple events per year, each with an opportunity to earn money. The new LeaderCast lets you invite 1 to 1,000 people with unlimited streaming opportunities. Check out more at LeaderCast.com or the link in our bio. What should leaders look for when hiring salespeople? Well, you you know, it's interesting that I've said this often is, you know, the one thing I look for when people get to me, and especially if you're a senior leader, uh, it depends on where you are in, the, in that process. But me being a senior leader, by the time people get to me, I, I don't even review a resume or we don't talk about a resume because as I tell them, you know, if you're sitting in front of me, uh, you're qualified for the role. You're not going to be sitting in front of me for that, you know, final interview or a final blessing if they're not qualified for the role that we're hiring for. Mm-hmm. I, I end up having a discussion, and what I think people don't do enough of is I have an open dialogue. I don't have that list of questions that everybody will tell you. This is what you need to ask at an interview, and you know, how did you handle a difficult customer? How did you handle a, diff- a difficult situation? I get into a general discussion, and it's very personal. It's like, tell me who you are. Tell me what drives you. What does that look like? And what's interesting is when you get into a very comfortable, casual conversation. And if you can approach that conversation, really intuitively listening to what people say, you'll, you'll start to understand who the person is. And what I've always said about sales, I can teach you everything we need to teach you about sales. 
I can't teach you to be likable in the first five minutes I meet you. Mm-hmm. And when you ask what I look for, specifically from a sales role is that. But I even take it outside of sales. Uh, when I look at talent you're hiring today, people still do business with people they know and trust and like. And I think there, if you pick up any Harvard Business Review today, what, what do you see? It's all about emotional intelligence. Well, that's about people and, and people being able to connect and have a great deal of emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is what I'm looking for, but I'm also looking for people that actually have the ability to connect in a, in a human capacity, because I think that's what sets them out. And that's not just self. I think that is every leadership role in, in every organization today. And that's why you cannot, it's, it's being talked about at nauseum is emotional intelligence you know, understanding people. But it's interesting when you get people into a casual conversation, you'll hear what they really think. And and it goes both ways. I have people that have asked for my advice as they're looking for new roles or they might be interviewing for something even within in, in within the organization. But, you know, one of the things I, I told them is to have that same conversation with whoever's interviewing you. And, you know, if you if you ask some leader and you're having that casual casual conversation and say, what do you really get excited about? What moves you? And if everything out of their mouth is about strategy and all about uh, process and development, and not once do they mention people when you're having a natural conversation, they're probably not a servant leader. They're not naturally curious about people because it doesn't even come out of their mouth in the top, top two things. You asked me a question about what drove me here. It was about people, very much so, was what came out of my mouth. And that would tell you naturally where my interest and my curiosity is. And it doesn't mean I'm not strategic. It doesn't mean I'm not driven in that direction. It just means that, you know, from a leadership perspective, it's about people. So I think having a real open conversation with people, if you can really pay attention to what they're saying and what their words are, you'll find out when their words don't mesh mesh up with the canned question you wanted to ask them and the canned answer that comes with it. And I think that's where we ha- sometimes have the big miss is because we're asking questions that are very yes, no, answer the question. They're, they're very targeted versus just being very open and dynamic where you get a good feel for who somebody is just by, but you have to listen. If you're going to have that kind of conversation, you have to listen with full intent to, of understanding who they are and what drives them as individuals. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about your recent move. So I know that you recently made a big career move. And I know that there's a lot that comes when people in executive leadership in particular make a change. And I imagine that your transition from NGM to Alhi was a big one for both organizations. So how can leaders, especially those in executive leadership, ensure a good transition when they venture to something new? Well, you, you know, it's an interesting way. I think it's twofold. Some of the work goes into play way in advance. One of the things I felt very fortunate about is when I was uh, leaving MGM, we, we had a really solid sales process and, and really talented and solid individuals in all the key roles. So how can you ensure a smooth transition? You should be, and, and you've heard this often, if you're a really good leader, the operation should be able to run when you're not there and run effectively and smooth once you've built it. That would apply too for you to move on. And that doesn't mean forever, but in a short period of time that that organization should continue to move like you were still there. 
And if you, if you take the time to build it right, that will ensure the proper transition. I think it's also important that you're very respectful to the role you're currently in. I was that way with MGM and I, I literally had had announced my plans to my bosses about two weeks before it was announced to anybody. And we kept that very quiet. And I had to tell um, my new organization that I was coming to, I that we're going to wait a couple of weeks because the timing needs to be right for the organization I'm currently in because it's a very high profile job. Mm -hmm. So that is being respectful. And I think that's important. And there's, there's an old adage, nobody's going to remember everything you did over a long period of time. They will remember your last few weeks that that you were with an organization. Yeah. How you carry yourself and how you do that and what that looks like, I think is very important. And, you know, my messaging I thought was was important as well because I, I had to let the team members know, but also within the industry to understand because as you just said, it was a big move and people are like, well, so why are you leaving MGM? And I'm, I'm like, why is it always I'm leaving something versus going to something? Why isn't anybody asking me, why are you going to Alhai versus why are you leaving MGM? Because that sounds very negative when you say I'm leaving something versus I'm going to something. Mm-hmm. And, and candidly, I was very open and very vocal about that during the transition because I think that was respectful to MGM and it was also accurate. There was nothing that MGM didn't provide. It was, I had an opportunity that was laying in front of me that financially was rewarding to me, but secondly, it's a CEO role. You don't get many opportunities to get your first CEO Mm -hmm. and to be able to run an organization in that regard was a new challenge where it all falls on your shoulders and something that was exciting. And then the third part of that or the tripod have you would would be that I had the ability that I could I could base the offices wherever I wanted. And that allowed me from a personal perspective to be able to move the offices to Texas, which we did. I'm born and raised in San Antonio, and this puts me very close to my parents, that literally I now can get to my parents and see my parents, you know, in 45 minutes, and that was a personal decision. So I think it was important for me to be able to share that story. And, and when you ask about how do you transition and transition effectively, it's being respectful to all sides. And then it's that transition into your new role. I think something uh, leaders sometimes miss is I, I am adamant and very quickly bring everyone together to make sure that we clarify what the expectations are. And we also take time to clarify, clarify my style and my habits. And, and I think that's something that not everybody does. So, you know, leaving gracefully is one. Coming in with clarity as far as your expectations are a biggie. And I can give you my own personal example is within the first week, I had a, a call where we had everyone together and was explaining to them, you know, that I'm excited and we've got a lot of work to do and you'll be hearing a lot more and I will get around to see everybody. But it was interesting that right after I finished the call, I sent out an email on something I needed to share with them. And then it hit me because this was late on a Friday afternoon. And I sent out another email and I said, and I should probably clarify, I, I tend to catch up on the weekend. I tend to uh, send out emails and you'll see me work on a Saturday or Sunday. I do not expect you to answer those emails. I do it because I'm catching up. You need to understand that is my, that is my rhythm. That is my style. 
but my expectation is not that you were going to be responding to me on a Saturday or Sunday. My expectation is that you were enjoying your weekend with your family and your loved ones. And as I tell everybody, I, I do know that the device we all carry is called a telephone. If I really need you and it's urgent, I will call. If otherwise, if it is an email, it means it is not that urgent. So get to it when you get to it. That is a great example of what are my expectations to the way I work, because I don't expect everyone to be working all weekends, even though I'm catching up on the weekend. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just my flow. I think that's important as you come into a new organization is to be able to identify that and clarify it. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's very important to be respectful. And I, I truly did not take on an ounce of work for Alhi until I was done at MGM. Because and if, and if I was doing anything and there was questions, it would be it has to be after hours because I am still being paid and I work for MGM and I, I am going to do that until the day I walk out the door. Mm-hmm. And when I walk out that door, I can now start the next role. And it doesn't mean I couldn't do other things, but that would have to be on the weekends or that would have to be after hours. It's not going to be in the middle of a work day. And I think that's that's the way to leave a job appropriately. And then the way you enter a job appropriately is making sure you clarify expectations. And then you do the hard stuff. And, and I call it sweat equity. But we have global sales teams uh, across the US and in Europe. I saw each one of our sales teams face to face in a full meeting within my first six weeks of getting on board. And that means I, that means I was on the road. And I, I was on the road literally for about two months straight. But there is no replacement for the sweat equity and, and the face to face interaction and engagement you need when you're coming on board in a new organization. Now, again, our organization's smaller, only, you know, 100 employees, but if you have a larger organization, not as easy, but could you do this in regional meetings? Could you do it in, you know, groupings? But it's important to do that. And and then within my first 90 days, I brought the entire sales organization together for a face-to-face meeting all together wow. to talk about strategy and direction and where we're going. I think those are the things that tend to be an afterthought when people mm-hmm. come into an organization, instead of understanding, you've got to kick it into gear from the beginning. And that means getting everybody very comfortable with who you are and what's the direction and knowing that they can they can make you human as far as, okay, now I know who that person is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's an important aspect. So, and something not everybody does, but I think it's an important one to do. Yeah. It's a lot of great advice for when you're new to leadership. I like it. So I know oftentimes with new leadership comes change. I know I've experienced that whenever a new leader came on board. So that can a lot of times make people feel uneasy. Do you have any advice or any best practices to implementing change when you're new to a team? Yes. Like I implemented some changes too, um, you know, out of the gate once I, I, I not, not my first few weeks, but within my first two months. One of the things I did and why I brought everyone together is I, I needed to walk them through a full understanding of how I see leadership and how I see our role and, and how, where I see us headed. I, I think that allows any changes that are coming to have some context to it. We tend to make changes without a lot of context. Uh, we tend to make changes without wanting to have an open forum where people can dialogue and Uh, I think if you're going to be really successful, you know, I'm one of those that always says I love diversity of thought. And I hear a lot of people that say I love diversity of thought. And I always joke that, yeah, you love diversity of thought until somebody disagrees with you. And then you don't like diversity of thought anymore. 
And if we're going to have transparency, that means transparency. That means anybody should be free to ask the questions they want to ask and to have an opinion, and uh, even when it's contrary to yours. And I think that's important in an er environment that there's a lot of change going on. And and one of the reasons I brought everyone together for them to fully understand it, I, I also try to teach, and there is something called the Kubler-Ross change curve. And when you look at the Kubler-Ross change curve, it is what every human being goes through when there is change. It's part of psychology. It's who we are. It's how we're wired. The difference is some people go through that in five minutes. Some people go through it in five weeks. Some people go through that in five months. But the Kubler-Ross change curve looks very much like a grieving curve. And understand when you make changes that people are going to go through that curve. The reason that is so important as a leader to understand it is you don't make a change and then expect everyone's just on board. You make a change and then you understand that people are all different places on that curve. Mm -hmm. And you're going to find the people that are already well past the trough of the curve and that are already through the other side. Well, those are the people you need to engage as your champions uh, to help with the change because they're all going to talk to each other. There's always going to be chatter. So how do you get the people that have already embraced it, moved on and get it and understand it to become your champions to help others get there as well? Mm -hmm. You know, that's an important part in how you engage it. But to have enough emotional intelligence to understand that this change, when you make changes, and they can be small or they can be large, but when you make changes, people are, as a human being, going through this change curve and can be all in all different areas of that curve. You just don't know. I think that requires us to be ultra patient, and that doesn't mean slowing it down. I mean, patience patient in, in respect to people's opinions. You need to be ultra patient to be able to answer questions. And I know sometimes, and I kind of feel it right now, I'm, I sometimes feel like I've answered the same question four or five times. But that also means people are still trying to get their head around it. And understanding that what seems to be very intuitive for us is not always intuitive for everybody. You, you have to have patience to be able to, ask, to answer the questions, to be able to move forward, but then to also clarify that the changes are, one, going to be permanent. And two, I think it's an important one when you're making changes is to be confident and clear that this is the direction we're going to go, but to also be able to explain why. If you cannot explain why you're doing something and you don't like being challenged when people ask you why, that's on us as a leader. Because if I can't clearly define why I'm making the change and completely help somebody understand on why we're making this change and why we're headed this direction, then maybe we shouldn't be making the change. You know, but that's on us. But I've seen leaders get offended that somebody's challenging us to say, why are we doing that? Well, let me explain to you why. And, and if, you've, if you've actually laid out the changes appropriately, you've answered the why so that it never has to get asked. Mm -hmm. But again, that's on us. And that's a responsibility. So to make changes effectively, you have to have a great deal of clarity, uh, but also a great deal of patience. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about our theme of the month, which is failure and success. And I love that you're here for this because I know that failure is something people in the sales world have to really learn how to navigate because it happens so regularly. You know, they, they get told no all the time despite their best efforts. So how can sales leaders or any leader for that matter get more comfortable with failure? Well, you know, I, I say this often that I, I have an expression that I utilize that failure is part of the process. I, I think good leaders today are authentic, and I think people follow people that are real. People don't follow people that are perfect. And 
to be real, you have to be able to be able, you have to be able to acknowledge where you've fallen, where you've missed. I think it's critical in today's world that uh, we are able to come back to our teams and say, okay, this is where we messed up. And this is where I messed up. This is where I thought we were going and we're not. And I need to, I need you to understand what I've learned. Well, to be able to create a culture that everybody is learning from it takes a little bit of self-discipline and a lot of humility. And I think humility matters today in to be a good leader. You can't be a servant leader without being very humble. And when I worked with MGM, we had this brilliant uh, VP of training and he's a actual general in the army reserves, but he had this brilliant quote and his quote was simply, if, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And I think it's an important one because that requires us to be humble and to be humble. It means we're going to make mistakes. And I, I have this poster and I share with the pe- people often that I have this poster that's sat in my office for over 17 years. And candidly, I'm looking at it right now because it's in my office and <laughs> it's a, uh, it was a Nike promo with Michael Jordan back in the day. And, you know, Michael Jordan being arguably the greatest basketball player to ever play. The line reads, and it's hard because it's 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 not real easy to make out, but powerful. It says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost more than 300 games. 26 times I was asked to take the game-winning shot and I missed. I have failed over and over in my life, and this is why I succeed. And it was a reminder that failure is part of the process. And, you know, Michael missed more game-winning shots than he ever made. And yet we remember the game-winning shot, you know, like he always made them. But his point is he wouldn't be able to make those shots if he hadn't missed all the ones prior to it because it makes you work that much harder. Um, I, I think most leaders were afraid of that. And yet there are certain areas that when, when, it comes, when it becomes a matter of life or death, nobody, nobody cares that the failure is exposed. But when it's not that critical, that's when we get sensitive to it. So the reason I say that, if you know anything about the medical community, if, if, if a surgeon loses a patient in the middle of the surgery, they have to, in front of all other doctors, go through step-by-step of that surgery and what happened and have an open dialogue, even if there were no mistakes made, but especially if there are mistakes made, they're having an open review and dialogue with all doctors. Why is that? So that everybody can learn from it mm-hmm. because it's, it's a life or death situation. Do you know uh, any pilot in the military, when they do their runs, when they come back, the first thing they're doing is reviewing their runs reviewing what they did and where they may have made a mistake or where they made a wrong decision. And especially if they are doing some type of training exercise, they are reviewing it with other pilots so that they can all learn from it. Mm -hmm. But that means your, your failures or your mistakes are fully exposed to everybody else. Why? Because that doesn't make you vulnerable. It, It actually helps everybody learn. I think good leaders understand that we learn from our failures and we learn from our mistakes uh, those that don't learn won't laugh, but most of us learn from that. But you can't learn without having a very open dialogue of how did we fail, why did we fail, and how do we make sure we don't fail again. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, I know that you serve on many leadership boards. And before we started recording, we were talking about the importance of volunteer leadership. Do you want to share with our audience why that's so important? Yeah, I would love to. I mean, you know, it's interesting that probably some of the most rewarding 
learnings and growth in, in my life have come from me being on boards with a lot of senior people that have a variety and a vast variety of interests and backgrounds. And I don't think you can do that without getting into some of these volunteer roles. And when you get into the volunteer roles, you find people that aren't necessarily doing what you do every day. They're in different verticals. They're in different industries. They, they have different responsibilities. And you get to learn from that perspective. A diversity of thought, to me, is where you get your greatest amounts of learning. And unfortunately, let's say you're in sales. You tend to be around salespeople. And it, the conversation tends to be all around sales. You, you can be in manufacturing. You tend to be around manufacturing people. The conversation tends to be all around manufacturing. When you get into these industry boards, all of a sudden you get a broad variety of perspective and a broad variety of experience. And you get to learn from that. Mm -hmm. And you get to learn from a lot of other great leaders. I, I think that's an important piece of it. You know, I said this earlier that leadership's a muscle and it needs to be exercised. Well, the best exercise is to have somebody that can really train you in a different way mm -hmm. so that it's not all muscle memory. And that's where when you start to get different perspectives in a room, it really does matter. And, you know, and I'm fortunate that in our industry, even though it's in the hospitality industry, for instance, if I'm on the and I'm, all, I'm on the U.S. Travel Executive Committee. When you look at the U.S. Travel Association, all of a sudden I'm dealing with people that have to deal with airports and I'm having to deal with people that deal with selling a city and a destination. And then I'm dealing with people that, yeah, they run hotels. But then I also look at other organizations that are all these verticals in our industry that just gives me a much broader perspective of how deep and how vast our industry is. Mm -hmm. and, and those learnings you could not get easily without in without that type of experience in these volunteer roles with other people. Well, Michael, I know that we are getting really close on the time that we had planned. Was there anything while you have our audience of leaders, was there anything that I didn't ask or we didn't cover that you'd like to add? The only thing I would add is, you know, when I talked about the emotional intelligence and I, and I know I hammer that hard, I always tell people, look, if, if you're doing any learning or elective that is your own, you know, if you're going to do training or certification or if you're at uh, industry trade shows where a lot of our adult education comes from at association meetings, make sure that you are trying to sign up and learn as often as possible on anything that has to do with psychology and human behavior. The biggest challenge leaders will have is that most leaders that get in those roles, they're very smart, they're very strategic, they're pretty driven. Their challenges will sometimes be that what is not natural for them is they have a natural curiosity about people. But you having an understanding from a psychology standpoint and from a human behavior perspective of how people are wired and how they interact and how people are motivated will help you be a better leader. I, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Well, Michael, you've given us so much to think about and so many insights for our audience of leaders to learn from. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with our audience. We really appreciate it. It is truly my pleasure and thank you for the opportunity. It's always rewarding for me as well. Listeners, thank you for tuning in today. You can connect with Michael on LinkedIn and learn more about Associated Luxury Hotels International at Alhi. That's A-L-H-I dot com. Find more content on the topic of failure and success through our blog, newsletters, webinars, and more. Visit leadercast.com to find more of our content. And again, this episode is brought to you by Leadercast Now. 
visit leadercastnow.com to learn how you can access hundreds of short videos from leadership experts, peers, and speakers from our world-famous LeaderCast events. Please share, rate, and review this podcast. If you like what you heard today, check out our previous episodes and subscribe so you never miss the latest. And we will see you again next time for another episode of the LeaderCast podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the LeaderCast podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. In today's ultra-competitive job market, top-tier talent are leaving companies in search of top-tier professional development. Now more than ever, you must invest in your emerging leaders. LeaderCast 365 is a world-class professional development system featuring access to three annual LeaderCast events, a post-event journey to activate the inspiration and insights gained from LeaderCast events, plug-and-play lunch-and-learn programs with group discussion questions, concise video courses to address weaknesses and build upon strengths, and our library of more than 1,200 short-form videos from a slate of industry experts organized into 16 key professional development categories. Invest in your all-star employees and attract new top talent to join them with LeaderCast 365.